Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. There's no doubt that Mind the Gap has entered the vernacular, and it's not just in the United Kingdom, where it's iconic on the tube or underground. That's London's version of a metro rail system like that found variously in and around the United States, like the New York subway or the Washington DC metro and others. Developed in the 60s, it was an automated message used at a station that had a curved platform that created an unusually large gap between the underground rail carriages and the platform, something that train riders could step into by accident and cause serious injury and harm. These days, it's been co-opted to mean a lot of different things, but for today's podcast, it's about the gaps in care that can cause serious injury and harm. There's no doubt our healthcare system is full of gaps in care, but one of the more glaring challenges is the transition at the end of many patient-physician interactions. At that point, at the end of the consultation, tests might have been reviewed, and the physician is reviewing the plans for the next steps, that more often than not includes some therapy and drug to treat the patient. But that interaction takes place in the closing minutes of something where a lot of information has already been exchanged and the challenge for the already stressed and stretched patient is to continue to absorb the information and ask all their burning questions. With so many participants contributing to the care of the patient, there is often a lack of coordination and it's not unusual to find that the right hand does not know what the left hand is doing, especially important when we consider drug therapies and the possibilities of interactions. But the problems run much deeper with the complex nature of medicine, the science, and medicine, the healthcare system with payers, insurance companies, and other parties all involved in various decisions in the choice and delivery of care. Some might remember in times gone by when those questions you forgot to ask could be posed to your local pharmacist, who not only knew you by name, but also knew your medical history, the treatments you'd received, what worked, and your local family circumstance. But like many elements of healthcare, this has become a transactional activity. But it doesn't have to be. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Tony Willoughby, he is the CEO of Stellus RX. Hi, Tony. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate you having me on today. So uh, we have all of these clinical interactions going on on a, a regular basis. I think, um, you know, generously, people talk about 15 minutes. I've got to say uh, most experiences are probably substantially less than that. 
And in terms of action, the majority of the action or, or requirement beyond sort of ordering of tests is that final minute, whatever, that is prescribing and giving, uh, in, in most cases, some form of medication. But we're sort of dropping the ball a little bit. Couldn't agree more, Nick. It's always fascinated me that as a patient, we, we've all been patients at some point, you, you get ex you have all this anxiety going into a, a physician office. Um, you share your chief complaint, your story, your physician does the best of his or her ability to assess, lay on hands, come to a, a next step or a clinical plan with you. And especially for a chronic condition patients, that usually leads to new drugs, new doses, some type of alteration. Um, you get a little bit of head nodding agreement they give you a little bit of info because they have to get to the next exam room because of how our systems are set up. And they always ask the same question. Do you have any questions? And, and all of us, I catch myself doing it as a healthcare professional, get kind of stunned deer in the headlights and say, no, not right now. Right. Until we get to the car and then all the questions start flooding in. And so we all go consult Dr. Google and get really scared. And we feel like we're out on an island. Um, we go to a pharmacy because that's part of the, the experience. Um, we get put in a cattle queue. Um, we have somebody come to a counter and ask us our name and then tell us it's not covered or it was written wrong or it's going to take two hours. Um, if we're really engaged in our health care in that moment, we'll come back. They'll ask us if we want to talk to a pharmacist. We don't know why we would because we've never experienced the impact that could be. And if we say yes, a pharmacist who's understaffed running the same fee-for-service treadmill as a physician comes over and ultimately reads warning labels to us. And then we wonder why when we show back up at the doctor's office that we get in that moment and we tell the doc we're taking our drugs most of the time and he or she is increasing a dose or adding a drug and frustrate it because they had a great clinical plan that didn't progress. And we just allow that to go on and on and on in a fee for service um, world that's one exam room to the next, one prescription to the next with little coordination to take care of that patient's experience. So I, I just wanna put a marker in here. I, you know, I, I wanna say you're a lucky man because my experience with some of those, do you have any questions? Well, it's funny you should say that, Don. <laughs> and they produce a big list of questions. Yeah, I, I, to be clear, that's not a very yeah. frequent instance. But, um, you know, joking aside, obviously, those are the better prepared patients. Yeah. Um, but the vast majority do sort of exit, don't have a good sense. You, you describe some core issues in there that, you know, Everybody is intent on doing the best that they can. Absolutely. But they don't have the material, the information, you know, and pick one one particular example in there. It's not covered by the insurance, but something else might be. And then there's all of these issues. There's a better way of doing this. And I think you started to sort of approach a, 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 a methodology that would bring a better experience. Tell us what you're doing. So what we've created over the last several years, which has been a, a fail fast, learn, iterate um, approach at, at what is now Stellis RX, is to try to eliminate 
the barriers and the constraints that we just described in that caricature experience. And what we've done over the years is we've aligned pharmacist-led teams with primary care physicians so that there's real-time handoffs and coordination to extend that last minute and a half, couple minutes that you described beyond the exam room to expand the capacity to give the patient voice and the opportunity to share their belief system around their medication and then use the pharmacist to collect that information and work back with the physician to come up with an optimized plan that the patient will more engage in. And one of the keys to that, Nick, is that our pharmacists work panels just like the physicians do. So once a, once a physician is connected to a pharmacist and once a patient's connect to a pharmacist, that's is set as a team. And so you create this flywheel of trusted advisor between this triad of individuals to help navigate that patient, what we like to say in between the appointments. So that when there is confusion in a moment that matters with that patient, they have this direct contact to a pharmacist that's not guessing, that is embedded in the EMR, that understands the intent of the plan of the physician. So it allows when we have those little deviations um, from the plan to course correct quickly instead of having three, four or five months in between those touch points with the physician. So I, I, all of that sounds great, but let's, you know, let's challenge this a little bit. Sure. And, you know, one of the things that we struggle with in healthcare is this handoff. So how is that handoff being done in a way that, you know, make sure the information, I mean, the information never seems to track. And, you know, I right. have a thousand forms that are handed to me every time I walk yeah. into a, any office. Um, but then there's also this, um, you know, different folks contributing. How is all that playing out? So there's a few key components. We've gone through a lot of handoff uh, iterations. Um, today, once the physician's in that last minute and a half with the patient, they can do a real-time referral uh, where the patient is scheduled with the pharmacist right there in the exam room, either through a live chat function or through an invite. Uh, the other key component, Nick, is that our pharmacists being aligned by physician are also working in the physician's EMR. So there's this native communication channel that's not one more portal for the physician and her, his or her staff to, to react to. And that's where all the bi-directional communication happens. So if there happens to be something prescribed from a drug class, like what you said earlier, that's not covered, instead of the guessing back and forth, the pharmacist in real time can, can communicate to the physician and help solve that constraint or close, close that gap. And so by using um, what I'll call native systems and workflows, and then having our own tech behind the scenes to drive consistent workflow management, you uh, decrease the change management component um, for the physician in that practice. So uh, the other thing that's in here is that, you know, you're talking about a handoff and let's be clear, if you go back in time, I think, you know, the pharmacist for the longest time was, you know, part of the community, knew the, in many respects, knew the people much better because they were Absolutely. right there. We've moved to a, a different model. I think we've moved in, in some respects to a different perception, albeit, you know, could be wrong, but is there a, a positive, have we moved back? Are we swinging back to a more positive engagement 
um, on the part of these experienced professionals who are much more engaged and practically able to offer help. Yeah, it's probably another podcast episode of how pharmacy allowed transactional volume and profitability to re-steer its course, right? right and to now, be clear, it's not just pharmacy. It's not just pharmacy, <laughs> it's physician too. And that we, we shouldn't call it transition to value-based care. We should call it return to value-based care, mm. um, quite frankly, across uh, acumens and domains within healthcare. But I think you hit the nail on the head, Nick, that it's a return to establishing community right? Where you know folks, where it's not just the next transaction. Nobody goes to medical school or pharmacy school saying, I can't wait to see how many transactions I can interact with a day. That, that probably wouldn't fly in interviews when you're trying to get into school in the first place, right? I, I don't, I've been on those interview panels. I've never heard somebody say that. And if they did, I'd say next, right? And so yeah, you would, but the, uh, the, the financial team might not. The, but <laughs> the, well, the one trying to fill a seat, because right. people go into other domains, um, yeah. career domains, wouldn't. But to your point, it's a return to community. You know, yeah. We like to say patients are known here. That's why we like to be in the EMR. Um, when I'm talking to different medical groups, I say this is not 1-800 dial a pharmacist, just like you don't want to be 1-800 dial a physician. Right. This is an extension of you and your team, your domain, your care of that patient. We want to understand the patient. It wasn't, what, 30 years ago that the, the pharmacist and physician um, went to church together or co-sponsored the t-ball team or the soccer team and saw each other in the grocery store and talked about patients while they were right. picking out produce. Right. That's that's not foreign. Um because actually, you know this, I know this, patients' quality of life and their engagement in their health care, if they feel heard and if they feel part of the decision, is way different than when it's just, here's an order, go follow this order. That's just human behavior. Right. And so we are trying to recreate that by setting up um, small, facile teams that are interconnected. We can wait for an... Uh, IHE and all these different technology advances, or we can hack it for what's in front of us now to take better care of um, care of the patients that we have. So I, I think, you know, you, you uh, excellent point in terms of, you know, it's not just, it, it's, it's across the board in terms of, you know, this failure to, I guess, foresee the path that would inevitably occur if we, focused on numbers and metrics and forgot, you know, that as you rightly describe it, that community. So you're returning to that. But I think this is, I'm going to call it community 3.0, not 2.0. This is changing things slightly differently and, and perhaps using technology to sort of support that process. Is that true? Yeah, it's to scale and automate what should be automated but now not allow that pendulum to swing to say everything has to be automated. I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the products we use is a adherence monitoring service. A lot of companies have this, right? They ingest claims data, they uh, identify gaps in medication claims, and they send automated alerts, texts, rings, emails, uh, messages to the physician, hey, your patient's not taking your medication, do something about it, um, which, Obviously, I have an opinion that that becomes white noise at some point. 
we use the we use similar tech. It's our own creative tech to identify the gaps and the opportunity to outreach. But what we do in that moment is we attach a human to go research the cause and reach out to the patient to understand it. Here's an example. We had a patient, all the algorithms said, patient's not gonna take their hypertension medication, they're not taking it. So we do all the review, we reach out to the patient, the pharmacist listens to seek to understand, and the patient says, well, I think I'm only supposed to take that medication when my pressures are up. He said, well, that would be a different approach, but let me check with Dr. Nick and see if that was his intent. Because we're integrated, sends a quick note to the physician, physician virtually smiles and says, no, my intent was for her to take it as, um, uh, as a set cadence. Um, pharmacist says, okay, I'll contact her back, contacts the patient back. And she says, well, actually, this goes back to sometimes there's a lot of questions at the end. Actually, it's not that he told me to take it just when I need it, but it makes me tired. So I only take it when I think I need it. <laughs> Right. So the pharmacist works with her and gives a couple of suggestions. Would it be okay if I talk to Dr. Nick and work through a couple other options? Patient says, absolutely, that would be great. Pharmacist sends a note to Dr. Nick, says, hey, would you consider this instead? This is what I think is happening. Physician says, thanks so much. That's great. I didn't realize that was happening. Go ahead and queue it up for me to sign off on it. We get that back to the patient. The patient feels heard, empowered. Now our blood pressure is controlled. In a fully digital world of a SaaS product, that's a bunch of text messages to the patient saying, hey, silly, take your blood pressure medication. Right. That's the difference in the service. So that's why I would say we're a tech-enabled services organization um, that tries to meld the balance points of using tech to optimize and scale, but not to replace the listening that two humans can do together. Yeah, I think that's a it, it's a great story and, and probably plays out more than a single time. I, I, I think there's you know multiple instances of that. Um, it, it raises you know one of the areas that I think continues to challenge me. I'm curious to get your thoughts around this. Is the word adherence seems so pejorative? And, you know, in the, the story you describe, it's not that I don't want to adhere. Yeah. It's that this is causing me problems. Have you, have you addressed that or is it maybe we're just stuck with it because of history? Yeah, the phrase that we um, don't allow around our, our organization is the word noncompliance. Mm. I, I just, the term just makes my skin crawl because... Right. Um, if, if we applied non-compliance to the rest of our lives, um, that'd be the only thing we could call humans. I'm non-compliant to my diet. I'm non-compliant yeah. to my sleep. I'm non-compliant to, it's, it's human behavior to be captured at the constraints that come with, especially in our world now as everything move, moves faster. So we use the term adherence um, because it's how it's, how therapy engagement, if you will, is measured um, in all our payment structures. Right. But what we spend a lot of time to, uh, a lot of time on is understanding the patient to understand their belief systems, to see what they would be able to engage in and supporting them along the way. It, it's not as much about how many 90 day fills or wait for it, the big new strategy, hundred day fills. 
you can send people. That's a new payer strategy. We should take 90 day fills to 100 day fills to improve adherence. Um, it just causes more waste and stacking of pills and pantries, quite frankly. Uh, but we spend a lot of time, Nick, trying to truly understand what the patient will engage in, what, what they will take pride and authorship in, and then support them along the way by not just sitting and forgetting, but understanding they're human. And that's why we like to talk to patients every 20 to 30 days to just check in and see what's changed, what's happened, what, what part of life has hit their intent to cause their impact um, to drift. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, good point. And, you know, to, to, to your point about adherence, I think a better word than non-compliance. I'm with you 100%, even worse, you know. Right. <laughs> so I think addressing that correctly. The other thing that occurs to me is that, you know, as part of this, one of the, the just continuing problems is this polypharmacy, multiple mm -hmm. people involved. It feels to me that you've almost got the... Um, the conductor involved in this role, albeit, you know, from a pharmacy point where they can bring together all of this knowledge from multiple parties and start to reconcile some of that to resolve it. Is that true? It's absolutely true. Um, so this is the experience that we see time and time again. And it goes back to every professional, every physician have the purest of intent. When that hypertension patient walks back into the exam room and their blood pressure is still up and you ask them, have you been taking your medication? The last thing they want to do is let you down. And so they say most of the time. So in that moment, you don't have a choice. Most of the time, what that's not a measurement, right? And so you have one of two choices. You can increase a dose or add a drug. Mm. And if they're sh price shopping or moving around the, the bifurcated pharmacy dispensing component of that, then there's no source of truth. You get some claims data and some sure script data where you can try to look at that. But ultimately what we find is a lot of hypertension patients that are on four or five agents because they're taking them 40 to 50% of the time. And what we try really hard to do is working with the physician and the patient to actually decrease drug load. You know, most humans don't wake up and say, I want to take a bunch of pills all the time either, right? And so if you can help coordinate that from a source of truth standpoint, working to expand the view, not the knowledge, but the view of the physician to what's actually happening outside the exam room, we, we find a lot of times that we decrease drug load in chronic conditions because we're helping get patients attached to a medication, engage with a medication fully instead of multiple medications partially. I think all, all in all, exciting to see that return to uh, community, the return to value-based care that sort of is all-inclusive, not just of the, the different parties involved, but also importantly, I think, the, the patient. And as you rightly describe, allowing that patient to be heard is probably one of the categoric most positive experiences that I think patients would uh, uh, would be grateful for. Uh, Tony, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate the time to share um, what we're trying to create in the world and the ability to hear patients and work with physicians to bring better care. We have an opportunity to return to the community we have seen in the past. 
but to do so with the empowerment of new tools and technology to make that scalable and efficient. Treatment can and should be more informed than reporting by the patients of brief moments in time. Your better pill to swallow is to capitalize on the return to value-based care and empower the full team to be engaged and communicate in a coordinated interaction with the patient. The patient who is in desperate need for someone to listen to them and hear their story and their problems so that they feel heard and empowered. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.